David is the uncontested, undisputed king of Israel. That is what we see in our first reading. And there are two reasons why David is the undisputed, uncontested king of Israel. First, he's king by right because he's been called and chosen specifically by God and anointed as king of Israel. Secondly, he's king by conquest. Let me explain both of those. First, he's called, chosen, anointed by God. It's important to note David was not the first king of Israel. There was one before him, a man named Saul. Saul, too, was called, chosen by God. God sent his prophet Samuel to anoint Saul. But Saul disobeyed the Lord gravely and fell out of favor with him. And so the Lord tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem. This is a thousand years before the birth of Christ. To go to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and to anoint one of Jesse's seven sons as king. The Lord would tell him which son when he got there. And he gets there, and Jesse's oldest boy, he sees and thinks, oh, it must be this one. But the Lord says it's not him. So he goes to the next oldest and goes all the way down the line, and he turns to Jesse after going through six and says, do you have any more sons? He said, yeah, my youngest, he's out in the field shepherding. He says, send him to me. And when he sees David, the Lord says, this is the one, anoint him. David was 12, 13, at most 14 or 15, when he's anointed king of Israel, and from that time forward, by right, he should be the one sitting on that throne. That's not what happens, right? Which brings us to the second point. David is king by conquest. Now, we talk about David as a warrior. We can't overlook the episode with Goliath, where David, a boy, never trained in war, never seen combat, faces a giant of a man who has been a warrior since his youth. And he defeats him in one-on-one combat with a slingshot and then decapitates Goliath with the Philistine's own sword. Why? Because David is some uniquely, has a uniquely gifted and talented warrior? Well, that might be true, but it's by the power of the Lord. The Lord's favor is with him. Saul witnesses that event and begins to grow envious of David and afraid that David will take his throne. Maybe deep down he knew that it should be David rather than him sitting on the throne. But Saul stays there till he dies. Some over a decade after David is first anointed. But even then, even then, David is only crowned king of Judah, which is the territory where Jerusalem is. The northern ten tribes, they are loyal to Saul's son Ishbaal. And so what follows is a war, a two-year-long war between Judah and the northern tribes, where the house of Saul grows progressively weaker and the house of David progressively stronger, until Ishbal's own men turn on him and assassinate him. And then the elders of Israel, they come to, to, to Hebron, where David is, and they publicly anoint him as king of Israel. David is uncontested, undisputed king, by right and by conquest. Now David prefigures Jesus Christ, who is the king of the universe. And Jesus is king for two reasons. 
by right of his nature and by conquest. By right of nature, because Jesus is true God and true man, fully human, fully divine. And in virtue of that fact, the fact that he's God incarnate, he has supreme dominion over all creation, over all the universe. He's the king of kings from all eternity. But he's also king by conquest. Yet here we see that the conquest of Christ the king, it looks very different than the conquest of David. It's paradoxical because Christ in our gospel looks anything but this long-awaited Messiah who would usher in an unconquerable empire. The rulers sneer at him. They mock him. Instead of a crown of gold, he has a crown of thorns. Instead of a, 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 a throne, he's nailed to a cross. Above his head is the line, this is the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, meant to mock him as the crown of thorn is. It looks foolish to call Christ some conquering king, but as St. Paul tells us, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Here's the really thing. Jesus is God. If he wanted to, in a display of power and glory, he could have come down unharmed from the cross. He could have imposed his will on his enemies, but he stays on the cross and lays down his life. Why? Because he didn't come to conquer Caiaphas or the Sanhedrin. He didn't come to conquer Pilate or Caesar. He came to conquer sin, death, and the devil. And he does this on the cross by offering something God the Father loves infinitely more than sin displeases him, his only begotten Son. And so the cross, rather than this instrument of defeat, is an instrument of victory, because by it he superabundantly atones for our sins, and he wins the grace that makes us the sons and daughters of God, inheritors of heaven, and gives us a share in his kingship. We've been given a share in his kingship, not by right or by nature, but by grace, a free gift of God's love for us, as we see in our gospel. Right? One of the thieves mocks Jesus and says, hey, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. The other thief rebukes him and tells, turns to Jesus and says, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. He is acknowledging that his sentence was just, that he's a sinner, right? And he gets this tremendous promise of God's mercy. Amen, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He's given a share in Christ's kingship, not because he earned it, but as a free gift of God's love. But while we've been given a share in Christ's kingdom by grace, there's also a sense in which we experience that share only by conquest. By conquest, in the sense that Christ conquered on the cross, we too must pick up our cross and follow him. And St. Paul says this in, the letters, in his letter to the Romans. He said, We are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified. In other words, we do battle for the kingdom of God by following Jesus to the cross. For the cross is the road that leads to heaven. What does that look like in general? Well, it could mean doing battle against our own sinful tendencies. Like, I'll give you one example, just sticking with the theme of mercy from uh, the incident with the good thief. 
known as St. Dismas. Right? We can battle against the sin of pride, and a great way to do that is to regularly humble ourselves and go to the sacrament of reconciliation to receive the mercy of God. We must do battle against ourselves, giving God time in prayer, doing penance and works of charity, allowing the grace of God to work in us. We do battle through the cross when we accept those sufferings in life that we didn't choose, can't change don't like. And we accept them with trust that God the Father sent them to us, permitted that evil, only because he's going to bring some greater good out of it for us and for others. And we do battle through the cross when we are willing to bear witness to the truth of the faith. In every age, in every generation, to some degree, the world is opposed to the kingdom of God. And it's not enough for us to just practice the faith. We have to be willing to share it to bear witness to the truth uh, of, of Christ's kingdom. And if we do that, we will certainly face opposition. We do it uh, because Christ told us we would face opposition. He told us, in the world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. David is king by right, by anointing, by conquest. Christ is king in virtue of his divine nature and by conquest. We reign with him. If we accept this gift of grace and also follow him to Calvary. There's no way to sugarcoat the challenge at the heart of the kingdom. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We must decide if we will lead a life, a life that is dominated by our own desires or or by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. The choice is ours. May we choose the cross so that we can reign with Christ for all eternity in his kingdom that never ends, in the new and eternal Jerusalem.